Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology, the podcast where we speak to top data science leaders out there in the field to get their lessons learned, their strategies and approaches to help you take your career to the next level. My name is Felipe Flores. I am your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we are speaking with Angela Wilkins. She is the founder and managing director at Mercury Data Science. Angela also works at Mercury Fund as chief scientist. So she tells us about how that dual role works. And as you'll hear, I think she has the coolest job working with the type of companies that she does and the setup, really, really exciting. She has a strong background in clinical research and has ended up running a data science company. It's a great episode. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, this is Felipe. Today, I'm speaking with Angela. Angela, thank you so much for making the time. It is excellent to have you on the show. At the beginning of the episode, I wanted to ask you, how did you get into data? What was it that pulled you in? I always wanted to be a scientist. As a kid, the only thing I ever wanted to be was a scientist. And in particular, I, of course, loved Albert Einstein. And so that meant I liked physics a lot. And it's like high school, I was on the math team, the physics team, and I was very good at it. And that kept on going until my undergraduate, where at that point, I decided I wanted to be a theoretical physicist. I went off to grad school, and I realized very quickly that we don't sit there at chalkboards anymore and derive equations that I actually have to program. So I learned to program for the first time in grad school. Actually, technically, I took a Java class during my undergraduate, but at the time, uh, Java was actually a new language. My first language I'd say I really learned was uh, Fortran 77 because uh, that, that's the language that everybody uses in quantum chemistry. And I took to programming. I loved it. I loved physics. But I really liked, I think what I got out of it is I really just solving problems. And by time I finished grad school, I wanted new problems. And instead of continuing in physics, I decided to go into computational biology. It's a really rich and interesting field because they have so many problems. And 10 years ago, when I kind of got started, there really wasn't a whole lot of math to solve these problems. They were starting to head in that direction. So I first started out studying evolution and evolution is actually a lot, is very useful. A lot of people may not realize this, but it really helps us understand us, understand us in the context of disease and in drugs. And it allowed me to kind of understand the field as a whole. And I, over 10 years, I just kept on jumping from project to project, learning new data, learning new questions. I loved it. Wow, that's so interesting. And what type of problems did you work on? What did you learn doing that? A lot of times, so I was spending a lot of time doing protein engineering. So basically, I would learn how to understand these things that we call proteins, which are really long sequences of information. Sequences of information, they fluctuate a little bit from species to species. And if you look across a lot of species, you start being able to infer something about how this protein came about. And once you kind of understand how it came about, you can use this information to re-engineer it to do new things. So that was one of the things I did was basically created new proteins that didn't exist before. And in some cases, adjusted the function of proteins to make them do things that they didn't used to do. What? That blows my mind. Can you give us an example? Yeah. Okay. So you hear a lot nowadays about aging and aging is clearly a problem we will be dealing with for the next couple of years. That 
We want to get control of this better to prevent things like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and I'll stay beautiful and keep our hair. It'll be awesome. One of the things we worked with a lab out of Dallas where they had figured out exactly that this protein was important in some kind of pathway. But they wanted to make a smaller protein based on the original protein. And so I did a lot of analysis looking at how this protein behaves across lots of species and said, okay, this is the important part of the protein. So this is the part we need to keep. But the problem is that part of the protein, it's not going to function the way we want it to. It's going to do this thing we called aggregate, which means basically it's going to kind of fall apart and get eaten up. So we need to make it more stable. And so then basically took that protein and changed a couple, just a couple things in it to make it more stable. And it turned out it worked really well. I Basically, now it's become one of the standard controls for understanding a pathway called autophagy. It's called Tach-Beclin peptide, but it's actually a tool everybody in biology use day to day so that they can understand how this pathway works. I, that was kind of how I started. And like, so it's like I was used to using like unique kind of data to try to like solve a problem. Biology is a large field because like we have like along with having these sequences of information, we have you know language. And a couple of years later, I started working with, which at the time was a newer thing, IBM Watson. At the time, they had just done the Jeopardy thing and they were looking lots of places to do proof of concepts. The question we kind of posed was, can we use this technology they had developed to read the biomedical literature and do discovery on it? And it started out as kind of an R&D project. We we're on about a year. It was cancer biologists, clinicians, data scientists, computer scientists, computational biologists, a little bit of everything. So like a huge effort with about 20 people from Baylor College of Medicine and IBM. And I, for the first time, was part of like developing a product. Huh. You know, I was in science, but I'd never had done science in a way that, you know, the end of the day, we're going to create something that people use every day. They now called it what we worked on, the IBM Watson for drug discovery. And it's still around. People use it like Pfizer for doing discovery in the literature and trying to identify biomarkers or maybe drugs that would be useful for diseases. And how would it do that? Essentially, we look for relationships in the literature. First, we had to kind of define what are the things we care about, in this case, protein, drugs, and diseases. And then we look to see how proteins, drugs, and diseases interact. And so it might be that this drug inhibits these proteins or these drugs are good for these diseases. And then basically creating a huge knowledge network, how everything interacts. And then we use this network to identify relationships that maybe people have messed because you don't have the ability to look at everything together. And what did your role look like during the project? No, my role was interesting because for the first time, I would say I took a very a lead role in like a large situation. I was kind of the team leader on the Baylor College of Medicine side. And I had the opportunity to basically kind of push postdocs and students kind of in the right direction. At the same time, I was the interface with IBM trying to make sure everything was going on in the right direction and going in a direction that makes sense for the biomedical field. Instead of just like representing a small facet, I was basically representing something larger than a small piece of science, but trying to build something that would help many scientists. Exactly. And how did you deal with the competing priorities and setting direction for the team and obviously dealing with the people externally at IBM? What did you learn through that time? 
Oh, gosh, it was the first time I ever had to like set expectations. Working with uh, scientists, working with biologists and clinicians, there's certain things that they really care about and trying to explain to them. It's not that we don't care about what you care about, but we need to prioritize and put this stuff in order and we'll work on these things first and then these part things second and then we'll get these things when we out next quarter. It was the first time I ever had to think about that because usually in science, we're all pretty focused on solving our little problems. We don't really necessarily have to break things down and try to work with like 10 people and explain to them, we're going to get to it. It's phase three. Yes. So that was um, on within your team or was that externally as well, publicized the, the strategy? Yes, exactly. It was working within on my set of team, uh, working with IBM. That was interesting because it's also the first time I had worked with people who referred to other people as clients. It was a very interesting experience. I kind of like watched them and be like, you just think about everything much different than we do. And now looking back, it's like I now understand their process. They used a lot of language that now that I realized was basically to just allow them to communicate easier. This definition of a client is very meaningful. They have somebody that they kind of put on a pedestal and they're going to try to create something that will help them. And by referring that to us as the client, I thought it was initially weird, but now I understand it. <laughs> Interesting. And did you have any other challenges that you had to overcome during your time at Baylor? I think one of my favorite projects was towards the end where I was working with DARPA. Initially, we had gotten some seed funding to work on a few projects with DARPA, and we were part of a group that they called Simplex. And really, like the DARPA programs are very interesting in the context that they, they really are trying to build something. That When they bring people together, it's very strategic. They're putting about five to ten sets of people in the room together and hoping that something organic and innovative will come out of it. And it was a really unique opportunity because it was like I got to work with data scientists from Harvard and Stanford, and but also they had a mixture of companies. Some of them were startup companies that were really doing high-tech stuff around understanding language. In other cases, they were working in material science and trying to design new materials, trying to do, oh, yeah, top-of-the-line 3D printing, trying to create materials that it hasn't occurred to anybody to make before. That was really yeah. unique experience because I had not realized how the people in robotics can use the same algorithms as the people doing material science. Really? Like what? One of the things I got out of the darker project is that everybody is using algorithms that can help each other. There's people doing things in robotics. In our case, we were doing biology, material science, 3D printing, and we share uh, with each other. For me, what I had learned, a lot of the network theory is useful across many fields. I recall working with uh, Michael Robinson. He's out of American University. He's an applied mathematician. And like in collaboration with him, uh, we came up with this algorithm for aligning uh, protein networks across multiple species. We understand something about humans, and we can represent it with this model. And then we also understand something about yeast and we want to represent this network. And we worked on this idea of how do we align this information so that we can learn more because you don't know ever know anything about a species. But if you look at everything at the same time, maybe you'll learn something new. It turned out the algorithm that we worked on was actually really useful to him in a different context. He reused it for tracking cars. And so you can imagine you have a car going into a tunnel. And then you want to pick up that car again after it leaves the tunnel. And what 
he found that he could use this algorithm to do that. That what he would do is create a network based on the uh, structure of the car. And when it comes out of the tunnel, it has a similar but different network. So you can think that its network has kind of shifted to a slightly different angle. And this same algorithm could be used to do the exact same thing. Interesting. I love this stuff, so. Yeah, it's amazing. And you were at Baylor for quite a while. And then why did you decide to move elsewhere? I think a lot of it was... I needed new problems. I did a lot of different things in biology. And about the same time I left, I made a good friend who was at this think, policy think tank called the Center of Science Law. A really great data scientist named Pablo. And I got kind of infatuated with the problems that he works on. Right after Baylor, I did a short stint with his uh, nonprofit where we were creating large data sets to better understand crime. It's a lot of the projects I worked on were trying to better understand the patterns that correlate with repeat offenders. I had two projects where one was the team had created a tablet game that recreated various tests that they give people to assess things like risk and empathy in the kind of behavioral area, but they created it, but they gamified it. And we have this behavioral data of people playing games and it was something that they would take, you know, when they came in to do their parole interview or something like that and would track what would happen to them before and after they took the game. And we were using to see which of the behaviors most correlated with people who ended up reoffending. Okay. What were either some of the process or some of the results? Basically, one of the big processes was just properly designing the test set. That was very much a challenge because I think at the time we had uh, 600 to 700 pieces. We actually had 600 to 700 pieces of data. And the other thing is, we don't know if they committed a crime again yet. We know that they, they got caught for committing a crime. So it's like carefully designing the experiment in the training set, the t- development set, and the test set. But at the end of the day, you had to really think about what were my expectations here? How right am I ever going to be here? Because it's clearly never something that's going to be like, you know, 95%. And uh, at the end of the day, we did some predictive power and it, uh, it's something like, you know, 70%, 0.7 area of the curve. But it was a good method, I would say, for scoring things, but it wasn't, I don't think it was ever good enough to really be used in uh, production. Okay. And what type of improvements could have been done to get it to a level where you would be I think we would have needed uh, 10 times the number of people uh, tested. And at the same wow. time, I actually, looking back on it, I don't think it should have been test used as something to test for reoffense. Probably the data science questions should have been asked is, are there things that can be done for intervention? That's trying to better connect these test results with things that can actually help people. You know, it's like, do they need help with anger issues or risky behavior or empathy. It's, I don't think moving forward, it should have been looked at differently. Yes, really interesting. And that was one of one of the projects that you did before going to the Center for Science and Law. Yeah, that's one of the things I worked on for a period of time for the Center of Science a lot. But I liked it there. But like about the time, I kind of just became fascinated with using data science to make policy. I quickly kind of realized it wasn't really the thing I wanted to do forever. I ended up meeting uh, a VC. At the time, I didn't really know what a VC was. I had to look it up, and I found out they were called a venture capitalist and that they invest in companies. 
we would meet for lunch every one, once in a while, and he'd ask what I'm working on, and I would go on and on about what I thought of the latest algorithms or the latest company or what's going on in the biomedical field. And one day he asked me, hey, do you want to help me out with a few things? And it turned into uh, helping out a little bit with some due diligence, coming in, giving some seminars to uh, his team on machine learning and data science and telling them a little bit about the, you know, the latest technology. I enjoyed it immensely. They look at the world very differently. It really is about finding things that will work, they will work quickly, and they will have a lot of impact. And it was a new way of looking at the world that I hadn't, you know, in academia, you can take your time a little bit, you write a grant, you hear about it six months later, and you're like, oh, I got my grant. Okay, so this is what I'm going to work on for the next couple of years. The venture capitalists, the, uh, the early stage startup companies work much more differently. They, they work very fast, and they're trying to have as much impact as they can quickly. I ended up basically transitioning, going from helping with these seminars to due diligence to actually talking with companies that the venture capitalist, by the way, the venture capitalist is actually, let me restart that over. Okay. The VC I was working with is a group out of Houston, Texas, Mercury Fund. They're one of, I think one of the larger VCs in Texas, if not. They typically invest with companies, you know, around the A round. And now let me start that over again. I'm doing everything weird. I'm sorry, Felipe. <laughs> I think you're doing really well. Yeah, thank you. I'm really enjoying this conversation. Okay, so I continued to work with this uh, venture capitalist, and I went from helping with the due diligence and the seminars to actually starting with talking to the companies that they fund and the, talking with the companies that they were going, they were considering to fund, and. It was really interesting hearing about the problems. One thing that kind of stood out to me was after being a scientist for 15 years, I did actually know how to help them with their problems. I did not initially expect this because you know, they're working in business, right? So they had business problems, but algorithms are useful everywhere. And like they would tell me they're trying to understand, they're trying to identify anomalies in the behavior of their utilities. And I'd be like, oh, I know how to identify anomalies. I turned out to not just be kind of good at it, but I actually really enjoyed it. And at that point, I kind of just started to transition full time out of Baylor, out of uh, the uh, out of data policy, and shifted towards this world. And really, like it started as just me helping a VC with their companies. We started a little company so that I could do that, and okay. it's been going for about a year and a half now. Amazing. When you first started doing seminars for VC funds, what type of things did they want to know? Data science and machine learning. They wanted to know what you know, they wanted to know what deep learning was. They wanted to know what the next big things were. On some level, I think I think there was a hope that there would be like, you know, you can learn everything in a couple of hours. And I think one of the things that came out of it is they realized it'd be easier if they just kind of hired me. It just, you know, it, it goes on and on and on. I remember going through the process of teaching everybody regression and, you know, starting at linear regression, going into Ridge and Lasso and Elastic and after, like, just basically everybody's just sitting there going like, yeah, there's a lot here. Because they wanted to understand the details, but it's like you spend 15 years understanding the details and it's a complex field. Correct. And huge. And it changes so fast. So fast. It is insane. That's really interesting. And then when you started looking at companies with them, I guess, how were you involved in the process and what type of things were you looking at? 
I think a lot of times, one case, I was helping them with their business model. I knew the area that they wanted. I was very familiar with the area that they were in, the biomedical area, and that if they had all the data that they said they could have, what could they do with it? And I helped advise on the next steps because really the first phase of their company was let's collect the data. And then it's like, well, okay, so now we have all the data. What are we going to do with it? And that's kind of where I was helping was with the data vision for the future steps. It's a lot of fun because like what they come, you'd have someone come to you and be like, okay, so this is what I want to do. And this is the data I have. And you're like, okay, let's whiteboard this and trying to help develop the vision of how going to take what they have and make the thing that they want. It's a lot of fun. I mean, usually you have to go get some more data and you got to be some creative, but it's I very rarely have come out of those things going, no, 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 you can't do this. There's always like, okay, this isn't going to be easy, but if we do this and this, we can totally make this product. Yes, that's the work that you're doing directly with the startups mm-hmm. on behalf of the VC firm, yeah, yeah. helping take their company. Yes. And I would say that that actually turned into starting a company with my uh, partner. And my partner is actually Dan Watkins, who is the v- one of the VCs that were very fun. And basically, uh-huh. our, this company started like which is kind of me running around talking to companies. And now there's like 15 of us. That is incredible. Yeah. I know it's awesome, but it went from basically, you know, helping people on the phone to uh, now running around and helping not just Mercury Fund companies, but helping all kinds of companies with their problems. Oh, really? Great. And still focused on startups or across the board? Typically, a company that we're working with either just got funded for about, uh, they're usually venture, venture funded companies. So they may have raised somewhere between 5 million and 100 million. And for the first time, it's like, we have, let's do this. And what we usually do is we kind of come in and help the companies get started. It could be coming in and developing the strategy around the potential product that they want to build. It could be just going back to doing fixing databases and doing some of the raw data engineering. But even more, it's like one of the things we do is we really do partner with the companies to make the product that will be uh, the data scientist. And I'd say there's several companies now that we act as a data science team for them. Yes, that makes sense. Are there any examples that you could share around how you work with the company and how the data science strategy shape their organization? I think that definitely is. Let me talk about Trendkite because I, I know I can talk about Trendkite. Trendkite is a company that does machine learning and data science around PR data. So if you look up Trendkite, um, they basically put the right data in front of the PR person. So-and-so talked about your company today. It was in a positive or negative way or something like that. And they, they push that information there. Every day, they basically scrape the internet for blogs, articles, anything a public relations person would want to know is being written about their company. Uh-huh. This you're picking up 6 million new articles every day. So it's quite a problem. One of the things that we did early on to help them was when they're getting these 6 million articles, they don't actually know what they're about. So we designed a set of algorithms to basically define what they're about. Is it about technology? Is it about biotechnology? Is it about car automation? But one of the challenges was to make an, I mean, topic modeling is a very common problem. But our unique challenge was 
the vastness of the problem. At this point, it's not, you know, we're going to do these small sets of topics. We had to figure out all the topics that all their customers work care about. And then kind of creating a structure around that. And then somehow quickly annotating 6 million articles. For me, it was a very, very large big data problem because we had to be very clever because we couldn't use the standard way you could you know, go about this problem because it would take too long and it wouldn't cover all the, ver- you know, it wouldn't cover necessarily all the verticals. One of the things with bringing in this, it's like we had the opportunity to basically teach their team everything that we learned in the process. We didn't just make the product and leave. We worked very close with their team. So their team understood what we were doing and why we were doing things. And so when we leave, they can take it over. That's amazing. And how was this company doing their work before you guys were involved? In this case, they were relying on a technology that they were licensing that was only picked up like a couple hundred key topics. And we were able to start picking up hundreds, thousands of key topics. For them, it was very helpful because it was an example of like them actually creating a novel machine learning technology that was for them. That is so interesting. And then once you worked with them originally, and after that, do you continue the relationship with them or is it more for Typically, we continue the relationship with them. In this case, uh, Trendkite actually was sold to uh, Cision a couple of months ago. So we have since moved on. Okay, that's interesting. And do you have uh, an example of a company where data science was not part of their core offering before you worked with them and that you had to help them include data science into their strategic plan? Yes, we do have examples of that. Uh, in one case, we've worked with a company that actually was developing novel cancer therapeutics. And so really they're an experimental biology platform. What they do is they have lots of interesting d- discoveries that could be used in all kinds of different cancers. But it's really hard to tell which of these is more interesting than other. And so what we did was built a natural language processing pipeline that also couples some, you know, database sources to give you immediately tell you how interesting your prediction is. And, you know, and by interesting, I mean, you know, it's like, okay, it's been already been associated with cancer. Maybe this is already a well-known drug target or someone has actually already patented, has already done lots of patents around this technology. We've already done several patents around this therapeutic. It may not, you know, this may make it more interesting. It may make it less interesting, but it's mm-hmm. something that they didn't have beforehand at all. Yes. So it's not something they had before. No, that doesn't, that's a place where they didn't have data science before because they were not using data science at all. That they, they were basically, okay, I'm sorry. I, I think the, I answered the question. <laughs> We're going to cut this out, right? <laughs> Totally fine, but it makes sense that they were not using their science and that you help them get started in the space. This must be fascinating to be working with BC and doing their helping their companies be more successful with data science. Amazing. How did you feel going from biomed background into business? How was that process for you internally? As you said, like realizing that you could add value by starting from a point that was quite far away from business. How was that transition for you? Going from academia industry was a huge jump. It was funny because like I, I think early on I started in physics and I wasn't really feeling the impact I wanted to feel. You know, it's like in physics, everything feels so far away. You know, it's like maybe this will be useful in 20 years. Maybe it'll be useful in 30 years. In the biomedical field, I went there thinking, okay, so human health, I'm going to have impact here. 
And even though I do feel like there's a couple of things I've done that was helpful, but I didn't ever feel the impact as an academic did not reach the rest of the world. My impact how I work with students and how I work with postdocs and how, you know, I help put better scientists in the world. Going into industry, it's the first time I've really felt like I do something and it really helps not just a few people, it helps lots of people. Because if this works, this is a cure for cancer. If this works, more people will eat. You know, if this works, this makes a lot of other people's lives easier. It's, I really, really glad I made this transition. Yeah, that's really great to hear. Did you ever see yourself running a science? No, not at all. Never saw myself writing it. The funny thing is, I think twice before I had friends uh, during my academic days suggest to me and, hey, let's go start a company together. And I was like, nah, I don't know why you'd want to do that. <laughs> I don't get it. And I think it was basically meeting my current partner, Dan, and he's just one of the smartest people I've ever met. And I think having this wonderful collaboration and relationship where getting the opportunity to see what his world is like and how to use what he's learned and what I've learned to make this thing I want to call impact for other people has, I think it's the only way I would have ever done it is I get to have the best of both worlds. I get to have all the experience that he has. And he has all this experience as a VC and as a business person. And I get to merge it with my, you know, science and academic background to kind of create this new entity. And um, it's a lot of fun. That's great. And what's, what's in the future for Mercury Data Science? I think in the next week or two, we're raising money, basically allow us to scale up and build out the team a bit more. I am expecting us to grow bigger and get to help, you know, work on new problems and help new people and, and help new companies. And I expect this to kind of escalate a little bit. I am so excited for you. So great. And what type of companies, what type of people are you looking to be able to help more of? I think we have a love for biotech. There's several companies in that area. We like problems around uh, human behavior. I think whether it be buying patterns or just, I think Trangite's also a good example. Like what, what are the things that we care about and making that, those, making that data more accessible? I like those kind of problems. We've started to expand into manufacturing. We really enjoy those. I guess it's a new type of data. It's time series data is very interesting and you have the ability to uh, really change people's processes with that type of data. I don't think we're really limited by uh, limited by a certain industry at this point. At this point, we've worked in about eight different industries, and it's really just a matter of coming at the problem correctly and working very close with the company that needs help. Amazing. Let's change tack to some of the questions that sort of more rapid fire questions. What are you most excited about in this field? Why do you love it? I love it because it's changing so much. Every day is different. I think even if you're doing data science at a certain company every day, it's still the same. The technology is changing so much. You know, we're having a lot of access to better technology every day, and we're able to solve problems that five years ago didn't feel possible. I love the, having the opportunity to work with lots of different data scientists, especially the ones that are very different than me, because I get to learn from them. I'm sure it's like this in a lot of different areas, but I feel like we're kind of in the middle of like almost making it up as we go along. And so we have to basically, it really does have to be a collaborative effort. We need checks and balances. We need each other to make sure we're doing the right thing by, you know, everybody else. So interesting. And what are you most proud of? 
I'm perfectly proud of the fact that I, as this company that we that I started with my partner has gone as far as it has. It's really nice getting to work with like 15 people who really like their job and want to come to work every day. I am really proud of the fact that like there's people who depend on me to pay their bills. <laughs> I think for the la- over the last year, there's uh, three people on my team who have uh, bought houses. And the idea that it's their hard work and they could go anywhere and find a job and do it themselves, but I get to be part of that. I'm really proud of that. I know that's not data science related, but it's... <laughs> oh, that's, that is a huge, a huge impact that you're having on not only the direct people that work with you, but also their families and their future. I'm really proud of the fact that we also, I mean, it's right now when people hire data scientists, we take on a lot of people that you would consider raw. You know, they just got a grad school. They're not necessarily got a PhD in machine learning. We have the potential to be a data scientist. And so we've created an environment that lets people... Um, that challenges people, allows them to grow. That's fantastic. And was that uh, deliberate or by chance? I like to think it was by chance, but I think it's still left over from my academic life. I really enjoy being a teacher. I really like having students. I liked being part of people's research and part of their science, their transition to being a scientist. I think that will never go away, that I'll always want to be part of somebody's journey, helping them be who they want to be. It's really nice. Tell me, what challenges or problems are you thinking about at the moment? One of the challenges that we're dealing with now, uh, setting expectations. It's so important to um, the data science world, trying to explain to somebody that you're not always sure how long this will take. This is where we would start. But once we get into the data, maybe we don't have enough, enough data. How much? Maybe we have too much data. You don't really know until you start. And so I, I spend a lot of time trying to think about how to explain this to people in a way that they really, A, that they understand, but B, that, you know, I explain it to them. What I want to be careful about making sure that they under, you know, I set these expectations right. So sometimes they have an idea, people have an idea that something will take two weeks, but it actually takes three months. It's very challenging to get those points across. Yes, that's very true. And what are some tips or techniques that you've developed in order to do this more effectively? Uh, being repetitive. That you yes. can't once have to say it over and over and over again. I think that's probably the most important one, uh, being honest, just continually just say exactly what is on your mind, don't sugarcoat it. I think there's this tendency to you know, tell people what they want to hear and, and make people happy. And in the data science world, you have to be really careful because sometimes something turns out to be easy. Sometimes it turns out to be really hard. And also like setting those expectations around accuracy. Is it okay if this is 90% correct or do you need it to be 98%? I don't think we have expectations enough because there's a lot of things that just because you can do it doesn't mean it works well. Almost anything is possible, but does it really help you if it's only accurate 75% of the time? Mm. It actually might. It depends what you're doing. And how do you feel that people react to those conversations? A lot of times they get very nervous because you can't give them a answer that says, I'm 100% sure we'll be done in a month. 95% that we're going to be done in a month. And they're like, well, what happens to the other 5%? And you're like, well, it could take three months. That makes them nervous. It makes them worried. And it, all this seems a lot, it's hard to trust the black box. But at the same time, you know, you just, I try to be straight and honest and tell them exactly what I think will happen and how, let us all cross our fingers together. Very true. What do you see as the future challenges in our space? 
you hear a lot about what our challenges are going to be. And it's like recruiting talent. I actually think recruiting talent is going to get easier. I think training talent, we just need to come up with a better system there. I feel like a lot of things that we're going to do are just going to become easier and easier. Because I mean, once some days AWS just feels like magic and all the things I could do that I could never do five years. I mean, it's like, I feel so lucky to be trying to do this at this time. What do people usually say their challenges are? Because I feel really lucky to be at where we're at. I feel like right. it's better and better. Yeah, I completely agree. It is all getting better and better and better. So I'm enjoying the ride as well. <laughs> I think one of the challenges we have is we're all going to start realizing a lot of things that we're doing are actually, because like there's so many algorithms now and like we're going to have this realization at some point that these five things are actually the same thing. We have it pretty lucky. <laughs> yeah, so lucky. Angela, this has been amazing. I only have one last question for you. And that is, what is a takeaway that you would like to leave the audience with or a piece of advice for you to share with them? I would say do as many things as you can. I feel like every time I get introduced to a new domain or work for a new company or work with a new type of data, I'm better for it. I'm better at my job. I am more helpful to other people. I think try not to get stuck at the same thing. Do as many things as you can, as many, many problems, as many domains, as many types of analysis and many algorithms. There's so much to learn. So go for the variety and look for the learning. Yeah, I, I would be an expert on as many things as you can because every time I enter a new domain or a subdomain, I get something out of it that helps me somewhere else. You know, it's like I working on buying patterns helps me in biotech and biotech helps me in manufacturing and manufacturing helps me. It all relates to each other and it helps me better understand real estate. All these things are opportunities. They're all different ways to think. And they, the more you know, you, you really can figure out problems quicker. That is awesome. That is a fantastic note to end on. Angela, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your journey, your lessons learned, your perspectives. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course, this has been great. I wanted to tell you about the RMIT Online Masters of Data Science Strategy and Leadership. I was one of the industry advisors for this program. It's an online master's program and it covers both data science strategy and leadership and it has also a technical component. Highly, highly recommend it for people wanting to get ahead. With the program, you can gain this advanced strategic leadership and data science capabilities required to influence executive leadership teams and deliver organization-wide solutions. For more information, visit online.rmit.edu.au. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.